Everybody wants to be on top of the mountain. The problem nowadays is people want to get dropped off at the top of the hill and look down. It's that I overcome mindset that makes all the difference. See, the way we're taught is you're going to claw, you're going to scratch, you're going to bite, you're going to dig, you're going to do whatever it takes to get to the top of that mountain. That unequivocally is how I have managed to keep myself moving forward and finding success. Two seals, one mission. The JR Overcome Show. All right, everybody, welcome back to the JR Overcome Show, episode three. Ray, what's going on, man? It's amazing we've done, you know, that we're on to episode three. The first two episodes were pretty awesome. Finding out about who is Ray Care. Yeah, you know, and the input we've been getting from everybody is awesome. I mean, this thing's really taken off. I'm really excited. We've got some great stuff coming. Yeah, man. Hey, thank you to all of you that are out there that are tuning in, that are signing up to listen to these podcasts. I mean, it's an honor. Both Ray and I are humbled. Obviously, we want to help make you guys better, talking about leadership and resiliency. And uh, it's, it's, it's just been an awesome journey. So we are excited to continue to get this show out there. For those that don't know, if you're just tuning in this October 11th, we will post a show every two weeks. And the focus of this show is about leadership and it is about overcoming. It is about making you better. So as we do with every show, we're going to kick things off. What's the theme of this show? What's the word of the day? And today it is... The word of the day, Jason, is failure. That's right. Failure. And this is a really big topic, you know, because a lot of people have done it, yet we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to look at it. And I talk a lot about embracing failure. Failure. Last show we talked about Ray. You guys got to know who Ray Cash Care was, uh, who Ray Cash Care is. Yeah. But uh, you know, both uh, in the SEAL teams and now out talking and motivating, and inspiring people through leadership, physical leadership. Today we're going to talk about. We're going to have a discussion about failure. Uh, you know, failure is such a powerful topic, and there's a lot of people that have let it crush them. They yeah. have failed in some capacity and, and they've never recovered from it. And you know, this is going to be an interesting episode because after I give the word of the day failure, we're going to be kind of turning the tables today and I'm going to be interviewing Jason Redmond. So uh, we're going to ask you a few questions. We're going to get down and dirty and see what you think. How do you, what do you think about that? I love it, man. And a lot of people don't know. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people see only the positive, amazing things I've done. They don't know about some of the negative aspects. You know, my road to leadership was a very hard road, and we're going to talk about that today. And then we're going to close the show with our two-minute motivation. Our next show will be October 25th. So let's jump right into it and uh, jump right into the word of the day, uh, failure. Failure, the condition or fact of not achieving the desired end or ends the failure of an experiment. So what does that mean? It means maybe not meeting one's overall goal or objective is what I get out of that. But that can be taken in, a, again, a multitude of fashions. Yeah, and I think, I think, Ray, we jump right into the discussion of the word failure because, you know, people are afraid of that word. That's the reality. I mean, I probably hate failure more than anything else. I mean, if you tell me what am I afraid of, I hate to fail. I hate it. I hate to fall short in any area of my life. But here's some great things about failure. We learn more in failure than we do in success. And a lot of people don't realize that there's so many lessons learned that we can that we can take out of failure, how to diagnose ourselves, how to look at ourselves, how to figure out how how that failure occurred and learn from it. But a lot of people don't want to do that. A lot of people, they look at what they've lost and they only look at the past instead of turning around and looking to the future and figuring out, man, what are the lessons learned out of this? How do I take the positive things out of it and drive forward? So Ray, what about you? What have you seen with failure? I think I'm definitely 
I'm the same game as you with that. I, I hate, it's probably one of the things that I hate worst. And I, I, it's taken me so long to accept that I have achieved failure in my life. You know, as an overachiever, all I want to do is succeed and I want to overcome. But, you know, you can't be great without failing. I want to make that very clear. You know, people see people that are successful, but what they don't see is the epic failures. Now, I want to make one thing very clear here. There is a huge difference between the word failure and the word quit. Okay, we're not going to get we're not going to get into quit, but failure is when you do something but you don't get the result you want. Case in point, you know, I probably fail on a daily basis. There's different multitudes of failure which we're going to get into. But before we do that, but today, I, I want to focus on those catastrophic failures, those failures, those train wreck, car wreck failures. We're talking your career just came to a grinding halt because you failed. You did something that ruined a relationship because you failed. That's what I want to talk about today. And the amazing thing is, Ray, I mean, I've been blessed now. I mean, I've been running the Combat Wounded Coalition, uh, gosh, how long now? Uh Man, seven years now, eight years now, I've been running. No, longer than that. We're coming up on 10 years. Hard to believe. And uh, I've hired people over the years. And one of the things that I'm always fascinated about hiring is, obviously, when you write a resume, you write all the greatest things you've done on it. We, wanna, we want to highlight our successes because we want to project to somebody that's going to hire us, this is what I'm capable of. But every single person who I interview, anybody who knows me and who's done an interview knows that I always ask, tell me about one of your failures. I want to know when you had a massive failure and how you overcame it. Because I could care less about all the, you know, it's great for you to, for me to be able to see your successes, but the mark of a man or a woman is measured in how they overcome massive adversity and specifically failure. Because you said it earlier. Any great leader out there has failed. And how you overcome that and redeem them yourself is the mark of leadership. And it is the mark of someone who, no matter what comes along, if I know they can drive forward and overcome, that's the type of person that I want to hire and surround myself with. So for all of you out there who have failed, who are kicking yourself, maybe you're at a failure point in your career right now, and you're just like, how am I ever going to move forward? That's what we're going to talk about today. Hold that thought because I promise you I'm going to be asking you that question in a few minutes. But before we do that, I'd like the audience and our listeners to know the million dollar question. Who is Jason Redman? Let's let's take it from the beginning and, and tell me who Jason Redman is from the inside out. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, who is Jason Redman? Jason Redman is a uh, is a a man who has been forged and reforged by the experiences of life. Uh, I truly am a, I am an expert built on the school of hard knocks and um, just the things that I've been through, you know, a lot of friends have always joked with me. There's the hard way, there's the easy way. And then there's Jay Redmond's way. Cause I'm a knucklehead. I, I am incredibly stubborn. I'm incredibly competitive. And, and when I was younger, I used to think, that, you know, my way is the best way. And I don't care how hard it is, I'll grind through it and I'll figure out how to get to the other side. And I did that many times. But more often than not, throughout my career, there were times where I made it 10 times harder for myself or I, I failed and I had to figure out how to recover from that. So Jason Redmond is a man who's been shaped by a lot of very incredible life experiences and who now 
tries to help others uh, get through. My in the Overcome Academy, you know, the the program I run for Wounded Warriors on leadership, resiliency, and how to structure yourself towards your goals. One of the things we do is we talk about what is your life's objective, you know, your your life's mission objective. And like in the military, we have a specific mission objective, but I talk about one for your life. And, and mine now, after everything I've been through, is I want to leave everyone I meet, I, I want them to say, that guy made me better. By being around him, by listening to him, I am a better person for it. And that is my goal. Uh, do I always accomplish that? Nope. Sometimes I fall short. Sometimes I meet people and unfortunately the circumstances are wrong and we walk away and they go, that guy's an asshole. Uh, I always try to mitigate that, but sometimes it happens because that's life. So that's who Jason Redman is. Let's go back a little farther. I've known you for 20 some years, okay? You've always been a hard charger. You've been a squared away individual. You never back down from confrontation or a fight, which, which is something I love about you. But let's go a little farther back. Let's go back to... Who was Jason Redman as a child? And, you know, where were you, where are you from? I mean, the listeners, I know where you're from, but our, our audience doesn't. Where did you get this mindset? Because I don't think you got it from Bud's on. I think it's something you've had your whole life. So kind of let's go back a little farther. Yeah, absolutely. I think some of it absolutely is, is uh, genetics and some of it is mindset. You know, but where am I from? I'm from Ohio, the great, the great state of Ohio. O on each end, high in the middle for all you Ohio State fans out there. OH! And I know there's a loud and thunderous IO. But uh, yeah, man, I am originally from Ohio, but the reality is I'm a mutt. My family left Ohio when I was, uh, I think, about five years old. And from that point on in my life, all the way up until uh, I was 17 years old, we moved probably every other year. Uh, my dad was in sales and he went from job to job to find different things, you know, he was looking to accomplish. My parents divorced when I was three years old and I bounced back and forth between the two of them. So between the age of five and 17, I lived all up and down the East Coast. I lived in North Carolina, South Carolina. Uh, I lived in Florida. I lived in the Virgin Islands, uh, obviously Ohio, all these different places. And, uh, you know, the funny thing, I joined the military later and I stayed in one place my entire career. So I'm the opposite of everybody else in the military. But it shaped a lot about who I was by learning, um, you know, just by learning how to fit in and how to try and navigate into different environments as a, as a kid. Uh, and, it, and I think it built a lot of tenacity in me. You know, the one common theme I had from a young age is I always wanted to be in the military. My, I came from a military family. My dad had been in the military uh, when I was younger, before I was born, but I knew the stories. I had seen the pictures. Uh, my dad had been an Army Airborne uh, instructor. He was a rigger uh, working out of Fort Campbell, Kentucky during the Vietnam War. Uh, my grandfather was a decorated B-24 pilot, uh, flew all his missions in World War II over the European theater, uh, earned seven air medals and a distinguished flying cross. Uh, unfortunately, I never got to meet him. He came home after the war. He was only home for a few years before he died of a heart attack. And uh, But these were the stories I grew up with as a kid. My great uncle uh, was a pilot in World War II who was shot down and killed. He made the ultimate sacrifice. So uh, from a very young age, man, I aspired to the military profession. When I was younger, I wanted to be a pilot. 
Uh, I wanted like my grandfather. But uh, it was during that time, probably when I was, you know, I don't know, 11 or 12, G.I. Joe was really popular back then. You remember G.I. Joe? I do. I'm old enough, plus three years from you to know. But yeah, G.I. Joe, good stuff. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, the special operations guys in G.I. Joe really infatuated me, you know, the snake eyes and these different guys. And and that started to lead me down a road of, hey, that's what I want to do. And it was it was an interesting path because, you know, I am not your typical um, I'm not your, you know, typical idea of what you see in a special operations warrior, which the funny thing is, I think the typical view of what people envision in a special operations warrior, which is like this, you know, six foot five muscle bound Arnold Schwarzenegger looking guy. And that's just not reality. Uh, But I was, you know, I'm even on the smaller end of the scale for the average SEAL. Average SEAL is about 5'10", 180. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm 5'8", 165. Mm, so, 165, huh? Okay. So, uh, yeah, that is, uh, that is who I was as a kid growing up. So, uh, true story, some people may not know this, but me and you actually went to Bud's and Hell Week together in second phase. And you were a tough son of a bitch going through Bud's. I remember you. You know, I remember you. You weren't 165 pounds back then. You were smaller than that. And I was. You, but we were in the same boat crew. Um, most people, we were... Just so you know, we were in the Smurf crew, which is literally the shortest and what I would like to think the most unwinningest group going through Hell Weeks. I mean, we got our ass handed to us left and right. Oh my God, every day, every minute of every day. I mean, you know, Hell Week, it pays to be a winner. Every evolution is built on the aspect that you are trying to crush yourself. And if you win, you're rewarded for it. And if you lose, if you are last, you are punished for it. And we lost almost every race. We did, but the one thing that I've I've noticed about you, it's something that I've you know we've been friends for twenty some years. If you you've always had this just this this aura about you, this integrity, this almost tenacity, if you will, where it was like no matter what they threw at us, you just you had this look on your face. I remember um, one time when we were getting beat, where you were just you know they were like do it again. And you looked at the instructor just like fuck you, let's do this, and I was just like, you know, sometimes the message gets across. Because, you know, when people go through what we did with not a, not even having to say anything, we knew each other so well. I was just like, you know, Jesus, can we kill, can we hurt this kid? Can, what's going to stop him? And nothing ever seemed to, to phase you. And that's one of the reasons why I think we're such good friends because, you know, you're talking about the size. It's, it's not the size of the dog. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And, you know, you are a tough SOB and you are a very good friend of mine. And I'm, I'm honored to be. Um, speaking with you right now, interviewing you. And, you know, from what I've heard from your your childhood, you know, having the tradition of military in your family, um, you know, you grew up, you kind of grew up the same way as me, kind of on the go, on the road. Do you think that helped shape you into what it took, um, the mentality, the the mental fortitude to get through buds? I mean, because, you know, you didn't have the greatest childhood growing up, nor did I. But, you know, when you went through Buds, I mean, and I can I can contest, I was there. I mean, you struggled, but I mean, you, you seem like every day you wanted more. I mean, is that from maybe the childhood? I mean, what do you think those life experiences or what molded you from that early age to the leader that you are today? I, I think it definitely helped. I mean, my experiences as a kid were driven, uh, we, we were incredibly poor. Uh, 
growing up, I mean, I remember wearing hand-me-down clothes from one of the kids at the church, and I looked forward to, like, every summer when I would get his hand-me-downs. I thought it was awesome, um, you know, because I didn't know any better. But I also, I also got picked on at school. You know, I was a small kid. I mean, at uh, 16, I think I was probably 4'11 and about 95 pounds. And, uh, and some of it was just an inner fire within me. It was just the way I was wired. If you told me I couldn't do something, I wanted to do it that much more. So I, I, you know, I, I think I bloomed a little late. I wasn't this kid that was getting in fights all the time. I got in a few fights in high school. Uh, I even got my ass kicked really good one time, got a concussion from that fight. Cause I, I wasn't going to back down, but I also wasn't somebody that was, you know, out there seeking out fights. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, you know, I just, hey, smaller and it, it happened. But I, uh, you know, my dad would always tell me, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. You know, I want to play football. I love football. I love watching football. My dad was like, no, you're too small. You get hurt. And finally, one day in the 10th grade, I told my dad, I was like, I'm going out for the football team. I don't care what you say. And I did. I went out for the football team. I got my ass kicked right and left. But I, I loved it. I loved the camaraderie. I loved the drive. I loved the competition. I loved just trying to throw it all out there and hit somebody as hard as I could. And, you know, half the time it wasn't that hard. Half the time I get the shit kicked out of me. But I never stopped. It just so that shaped me. Some of the other things that I think shaped me, I started to realize that everybody's going to be a naysayer. In life, everyone is going to be a naysayer, especially if you don't fit the mold of what they think, you know, whatever it is you want to do. If you don't fit the mold, everybody's going to tell you, well, you can't do it. You know, you're not this or you're not that. And that drove me. So, you know, when I said I was going to be a football player, people were like, you're too small. I played football. I, uh, you know, I decided some, some friends were wrestling and they were like, man, you should try wrestling. I was like, all right, I'll go wrestling. I wrestled under our 119 pound state champion. He whooped my ass every day. I mean, he just throttled me. But it taught me tenacity and it taught me to be hard and it taught me to kept, keep driving forward. I never beat him ever. But every day I showed up at practice, and I was like, this is going to be the day. This is going to be the day. You want it some more. I get it. I like it. And, and I think those are the things that make you hungry. You're either the type of person who, gets defeated several times and you just accept, oh, I'm just going to be defeated. I'm never going to be able to do this. Or you're the type of person that you light that fire and you're like, someday That's right, baby. I'm taking you down. Eat or be eaten. I hear you. And, uh, and, and those were the things, man. I think all that shaped me. I tell you, I was only 15 years old when I decided to become a SEAL. My dad told me, hey, there's a group of guys that I worked with and uh, uh, they went through airborne school with me. He was like, they were nuts. He was like, they jump out of planes, you know, they, they do water stuff, you know, they're badasses. He's like, if you really want to push yourself, you should look into this. And I was like, as soon as I found out about it and I started looking into it. And from right there. From right it. there, I was like, I'm going to become a SEAL. And everybody told me I couldn't do it. They were like, you're a 95-pound weakling. You're never going to make it. I actually went to the recruiting office. And the recruiter was a salty, crusty E6 boatswain, boatswain's mate who literally laughed me out of the office when I showed up and said I wanted to be a SEAL. He was like, get out of here and stop wasting my time. And he's like, don't come back. Well, I kept coming back and he would chase me out of there and I would come back. Finally, he'd let me watch the video. There was this video of Be Someone Special. Uh, and I would watch that video and over and over. And he would just heckle me. You're wasting your time, kid. You're never going to make it. I know SEALs. You'll never be a SEAL. Every time somebody told me that, it was fuel for my fire. And it just built this, you know, I mean, in some ways it was just fuck you mentality. I'm going to show you 
uh, that you're wrong. You know, I saw that mentality with you and Buds and I see it now, you know, you pretty much, you're like me. If you put your mind to something, you're going to make it happen one way, shape or another, which brings me to my next question. Okay. Now I've known you since you were an E1. Um, I've watched you grab, you know, you graduated Buds, checking your team. Um, you go all the way up to, if, if memory serves me correct, you're an E6. You're still hungry. Okay. Then we go into the question, the transition. What made you decide to take the, the leap of faith, if you will, sir, um, the transition from enlisted to officer? What was your driving force for that? There, there were a lot of reasons that led me down that path. Several things happened. One, I had uh, I had done several deployments as a SEAL, uh, Central and South America. I'd done well. I'd excelled. I uh, was regarded highly within the team, uh, an expert in uh, communications, you know, doing different things. And uh, I ended up becoming an instructor uh, for our SEAL team, teaching different aspects. And I uh, was really excelling doing that. Uh, I enjoyed giving back and teaching other guys. And uh, our training officer at the time who became a mentor for me said, you should think about becoming an officer. You know, you, you, you're doing great. You have the aptitude. He was a prior enlisted uh, officer also. My, my family, my dad had been an officer. My grandfather was an officer. At this point, my sister was an officer in the Air Force. So I was the only enlisted guy in our family. And I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe I do want to make that transition. I also felt like, you know, maybe I can have a deeper impact. Maybe I can make uh, more of an impact as an officer. Um, I look back on a 21-year career in special operations. I don't know if that's necessarily true now when I look back on my career, because I, I have worked with some incredible uh, enlisted leaders who will leave a much more lasting impact than some of our officers. So it's just different. That's, uh, that's the only thing I'll say about that. And that's a whole nother conversation, enlisted versus officers. Mm -hmm. But my thinking was wrong back then. I was thinking I could have more an impact as an officer. So that was one of the things I thought about. I also thought about nothing was going on in 1999 when I was looking at this decision. You know, you were in back then. We were we were training all the time and um, I called it war chasing. All of us were trying to find where the next hotspot in the world was going to happen so that we could try and get into the fight because it was like being a professional football player, but all you ever did is practice. You were never allowed to go to the game and all of us were hungry to get to the game and only a couple of guys a year would get to the game and uh, so I was at this turning point in my career. It was like, do I do I go to the next level, which was our higher level SEAL team? I was at that point where I could do that. Or I had several people, you know, leaders who were saying, you should think about putting in an officer package. Um, and the last determining factor was I had just met Erica. I had met Erica probably uh, six months prior to that. And I thought to myself, you know what? maybe this is a good time to take a break. You know, I've been running hard for, you know, eight, nine years. Maybe it's a good time to take a break. I'll go to school. I'll get a degree. I'll come back as an officer. And uh, maybe I'll set myself up for more success uh, it, down that path. So that's what kind of led me down mm -hmm. that road. You know, true story uh, for the listeners here, 19, whatever it was, me and Jason were actually at a bar down in Waterside. I, I remember this. I was thinking about this. And we were out with a group of people. And I remember you telling me, I don't know how it ended up, but we were by some hot little tub girl drinking beer and me and you're cracking a few of them back. And you told me that you were going to go, you, you know, you're going to take the leap and go officer. And I looked at you. I remember, uh, you know, little three sheets of the wind. And I said, dude, I think you'll be a great fucking officer. I remember telling you that because 
you reminded me of the Rock Blazes, and you know these these are some names that I'm throwing around, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Rock's no longer with us. Prior enlisted, probably one of the greatest officers I ever worked with, um, but he had the same mentality as you. You know, he climbed his way up the ladder from E1 to whatever he ended up doing, and ended up be, you know he ended up passing away as a lieutenant commander. And I remember at that moment, you know, when you told me that. I remember looking back at that moment, shithoused or not, to when we were like sitting in the sand eating our MREs when we were cold and just, you know, everybody looked miserable and you were just sitting there like, fuck it, let's have some more. And I remember I just was, I used to say to myself all the time, you know, because, you know, what is wrong with this kid? Is he missing a screw? But as we developed, yes. yeah, <laughs> but as we got older, I realized, you know, you were just hungry. Like I said, eat or be eaten. And I realized you were, you were ready to eat. You know, the reality though, Ray, and I appreciate that, um, I, I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I had flaws as, and like many of us do when you're, we're younger, um, I did have a tilted view of what leadership was. And, you know, our SEAL team did something that some other SEAL teams don't do when a guy put in for a, a commissioning. The Normally it's the officers that decide if somebody should become an officer. Well, at our team, we actually had the chiefs that weighed in on it. So you had to go before a chief's board and an officer's board in order to get commission. And the officer and the chiefs actually voted against me. And they said, and, and I was, I was a little bit of a hellraiser when I was younger. I got myself in nothing bad, but I got myself in trouble a couple of times for being a hothead. And I got in a fight with my roommate and we both got arrested down in Puerto Rico. You know, we're beating the crap out of each other outside the E-Club and both got arrested and charged with assault. Um, just, you know, some knuckleheaded things like that, that the chiefs were like, you know, we think you'd make a much better chief than an officer. We don't think, you know, you're not as polished. You're not, you know, these things. And, and in some ways they were right. They were right. They were right in their assessment. And that kind of led me down a path where I lost myself as a leader. Well said. Um, I think taking ownership of that shows the true character of who you are, which leads me to the next thing. You know, you always talk about in your, in your presentations, you talk about life's ambushes. So what the question I have is, what was your most significant life ambush and were you prepared? I was not. And you're right. Uh, a lot of people always think that the biggest life ambush uh, that I went through was the real ambush where I was all shot up years later. Uh, but it wasn't. By far, the biggest life ambush I've ever been in was uh, the topic of the show, failure. It was my failure as a leader. And there were so many storms that kind of came together to form the perfect storm that, that made me fail. And I, I epically failed. Um, you know, when the chief said, hey, we don't think you're polished enough. We don't think you have the right mindset. They were right. And, and then there were a lot of other perfect storms that occurred. So I, I ended up getting selected and I went off uh, towards this commissioning program. I went to school uh, at ODU for three years. And for three years, I excelled. Um, I actually graduated from the school. Number one, I was the battalion commanding officer for the largest, for the largest ROTC consortium on the East Coast. And some of that played into uh, a little bit of an inflated ego. I, I left the SEAL teams on a very high note. Um, I really kind of dismissed what the chief said, and I really should have listened. I probably, and this, this is a really important point for all of you out there. People offer you advice that we sometimes discount. Anybody that ever gives you advice, the reality is you should take a step back and say, is there some level of validity of what they're saying? Maybe, maybe it's not 100%. Maybe it's even only 5% truth in what they're saying. 
but you can learn something out of that 5%. And I should have listened to those chiefs in that moment because it probably would have saved me a lot of pain. Because when I got, so as I was going through the pipeline for an officer, three years to get my degree at ODU and prepare to come back as a SEAL officer, 9-11 happened. So I had gone into school thinking nothing was happening. We weren't at war. I'm going to go to school. I'll have time with my family, which I did. What was great. But what happened overnight is the SEAL teams went to war. We went from a peacetime SEAL teams with only a handful of guys with combat experience to within the next three years, uh, almost 75% of the SEAL teams had combat experience, hard combat experience. I mean, we were fighting in an environment that we had never seen, this truly ambiguous uh, urban warfare, close quarters combat, mountain warfare, um, and, and everything changed overnight. All our tactics changed. We, we changed everything we did. So by the time I got commissioned and came back, and here I was, I thought I was God's gift of leadership. You know, I graduated number one from, you know, ODU and uh, from the ROTC. And I'm like, you know, I'm a prior enlisted guy with all this experience. And I stepped into the SEAL teams with that mindset, this very arrogant mindset. And I stepped into a group of individuals that had combat experience and in an, in a operator community, in a combat arms community, combat experience is king. I don't care who you are until the bullets are flying and you're making calls in a chaotic environment and people are dying and lives are at stake. I don't give a shit who you are. You are nothing until you start to gain that experience and prove that you can lead and operate at that level. And I stepped into the game with these guys who had experience thinking I was the man and, uh, and went down a path where, uh, I was making mistakes, man. These were brand new tactics. And instead of humbling myself and saying, Hey fellas, I've never done this before. How do I do this? I, you know, Hey man, I'm, I'm Jay Redman, you know, the leader. I was an enlisted guy. I was great leader coming out of ODU. I can figure this out on my own. And I was failing. I was stepping on my feet. I was making mistakes and it was hurting me. It was hurting my reputation. I talk to people all the time. Credibility is the currency of leadership. I was damaging mine. And I'll tell you a minute how I went further to do so. Amen, brother. I couldn't agree with you more in the soft community. Reputation is everything you know it and I know it. You know, you make one, you can do a thousand great things in life, but if you make that one minor mistake, sometimes you're taking that shit to the grave. Can you agree? Absolutely. There's a lot of uh, special operations warriors, specifically in the SEAL teams that have made one big mistake and it ended their career. Uh, they, could, they, they could not recover from it. And I was making a succession of mistakes. And with those mistakes, and I was butting heads with some of our leaders because of my arrogance and unwillingness to listen. Uh, and, and I started, uh, I started doing something that, uh, is very dangerous for any leader. And that is, I was going out and drinking and partying with the boys. Uh, there's a time and place to hang out with the guys, but there's a time and place as a leader that you have to be very careful not to damage your credibility. If you are a jackass out with the guys, they're going to see you as a jackass. You know, a lot of times I talk to people when I'm consulting about leadership and they have this idea that, you know, uh, I want them to like me. I want to be their friend. And good leaders can find that balance. But the reality is they're not looking for friendship. They're not looking to like you. They're looking for leadership. 
They are looking for someone who has the conviction that stays the course, that that follows our operating procedures, and that sets goals and accomplish them and gets them the tools that they need to do that. And I was missing that. And so I'm going down this path where I'm making mistakes, I'm drinking, I'm being a jackass, and I'm eroding my credibility as a leader. And it came together for the perfect storm, the final perfect storm, which was we were deployed in Afghanistan, we were on a mission, and I won't get into the details, but I made a bad call. I made a call that was driven by my own selfishness. I wanted to get into the fight. And I basically left a position of tactical advantage to get into the fight and jeopardized uh, not only my life, I jeopardized the life of my machine gunner. I jeopardized the lives of some of my teammates who were engaged in a firefight. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. But the potential for mishap was there. And when we came out of the other side, I got read the riot at. I was told, you know, you're dangerous, you're a bad leader, you're not making the right decisions. And instead of embracing it, once again, owning it and saying, you know what, you're right, I fought it. I was like, no, I didn't. I ran to the sound of the guns. I did what was right. I did the right thing. You know, fuck you. And uh, it, it became this tipping point because they were ready to kick me out of the SEAL teams. That, that's a lot. So to sum it up, I mean, the true character of who you are, you know, I've known you for 20 some years. You're sitting here telling me, decorated lieutenant in the SEAL teams, you know, you've, you've done all these things, but you have failed as a leader. I mean, that's what you're telling me. That's what you're telling our followers right now. My question is, because I, I, I already have my interpretation of what, what it was, but if you had one word to sum up what made you fail as a leader, would it be a word like ego, selfish, selfishness? What would that one word be? Ar arrogance. Arrogance. Arrogance by far would be the biggest thing. You know, a, a, a good leader is a servant selfless leader. He places himself last in the equation. He places everything else prior to that. And, and he listens. I mean, that's one of the critical components of leadership. Um, even if you disagree uh, vehemently with the advice you're being given, you take a step back and listen to it and say, could there be at least, like we talked about earlier, that 5% component of truth in it? Is there something I can learn out of this? Um, and, and I refused to do that up until that point in my career, in my career. And it almost ended my career. Now let's talk about a school or a topic that I was never a fan of a uh, true story about this. We're going to talk about your time at Ranger school. So before we do that, I'm gonna tell you a true story. Um, I actually failed Halo Jumpmaster The first time I went through JMPI's got me. I got sent back to my platoon, failing something, going back to your platoon, happen to go back and tell your senior chief and your LT that you failed is, is, is punishment enough. Um, I wanted to go right back and I couldn't. So six months later, um, we're, we're short jump masters and I have to go see, um, Rico Lenway, who's the XO of our team. He's a legend, in the SEAL teams. And I go in and I'm standing at attention. He tells me at ease. I know Rico. Well, great yeah. guy. And he's holding two sets of orders in his hand. And this is where we're going to get to. He goes, would you want to go back to Halo Jumpmaster? Or would you want to go to Ranger School? Now, Rico Lenway is not a man that when he asks you a question, you laugh at him in his face. And I chuckled. And he kind of just looked up at me and he goes, uh, excuse me? And I said, I'm sorry, sir. I wasn't laughing at you. And he says, well, what the hell were you laughing at? I said, the fact that you had me choose between these two. And he goes, wait a minute. And, you know, we know Rico. He likes to explain things. I can send you to a, a leadership school because I think you have great leadership potential or I could send you to Jan, uh, Halo Jumpmaster. And I said, sir, I see your point, but let me explain my point. 
I went to a school and I didn't pass. I owe it to myself and more importantly, my team members to pass that team, uh, to pass that evolution. Once I do that, then we can talk about me going and taking a kick to the boss, the Ranger School, which brings me to my next question. Jason Redmond at Ranger School. What I want to know is what your thoughts were when you showed up at Ranger School, because when I think of Ranger School, I think of one thing. I just think of, you know, dumping your ruck and just getting your ass handed to you and starving versus what happened. Was there a transformation when you went through that course? Was there a transformation when you went to that course? And now that you look back on it, what have you learned from it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the transformation, it, it was the pivotal moment and epiphany moment of my career. Uh, but going there, I didn't see it. I was I was bitter. So we, I just got back from an incredibly hard deployment. I had failed. I was, I was, you know, I got home and none of the guys wanted to work with me. They were, my new nickname was Rambo Red. And this is not a compliment in the SEAL teams. You know, we are a team-based organization and it is critical. Everybody plays their part. There's no room for somebody, that, you know, lone wolves that are going to go off and do their own thing. You'll get people killed. And I could have got people killed with the mistake I made. So I, I came home really in shame. Uh, everything that I had ever worked for was, you know, built on trying to earn the trident. And suddenly I'm faced with a, you know, situation where there were people that said, hey, you've stepped up the plate and you're found lacking. I was given an opportunity to correct myself. Let me, let me rephrase that. I viewed it as punishment, although they set me up and said, hey, look, these are the things that are going to happen to you. You can redeem yourself, but it's going to take some hard work to do it. And one of those things was they sent me to ranger school. And I, I was really bitter. It was supposed to happen. You know, we had only been home for a couple of months. And here I was, I was going to have to go to this two-month school where we have, uh, you have no communication with your family. You're allowed to write letters and that's it. You know, it's back to the old school boot camp mentality. You wear no rank. Uh, and, you know, it is, it is a hard school. It is definitely a kick in the nuts. But once again, arrogance played in. I, here I was thinking, man, I've made it through buds. I've been in for 13 years. I'm going to kick this school in the ass. And it was hard. I showed up in February to start Ranger School, and it was freezing. Uh, we literally had to break the ice on Malvesti, the obstacle course, in the first week to wade through the water and do the things that we had to do. And I was just bitter. I was just angry about it. And uh, I, I ended up failing the land navigation course, not because... I was a poor land navigator. I was a point man at one point. I taught land navigation. I know how to navigate. The reason I failed is because I was arrogant and I kicked around and stomped around being angry at being at the course. It was about four days in and I wasted my time. And I said, well, I'll just start that. We were supposed to start at four. I just said, I'll knock it out as soon as the sun's up because I'll be able to move faster and knock it out. Well, the course was hard and I failed it. I didn't have enough time and I failed it. And the instructors, you know, started to heckle me and make fun of me. And the Jay Redmond knucklehead bubbled up and I said, you know, fuck you guys. I quit. And they said, what? And I said, you guys can have this course. It is a joke. Uh, and they said, well, you got to go see the sergeant major. You got to go see the colonel. So they sent me back and I had to go see the colonel. And, uh, and, I, and I'll be honest, I was ashamed. It's the only thing I have ever quit in my entire life. Hands down, ever. It is the only thing I've ever quit. And I was ashamed. But I kept trying to listen to the little voice that all of us have in our head that tries to justify the things we do and tries to convince you, you know, hey, you can't do this or you can't do that. I call him the little demon. 
And that little demon was like, you're doing the right thing because you know what? Nobody's ever going to follow you after the mistakes that you've made. You know, your reputation is everything in this community and yours is dirt now. Nobody will ever follow you again. And now you've quit ranger school. So this is the nail in your coffin. Just go home, get out and go live an ordinary life. Do you have a grit? Uh, well, you know, there's a turning point in the story. I have regret about that decision. Absolutely. But I fixed it. That's the difference. You can fail and you can quit, uh, but you can turn it around and fix yourself. And so many people will fail or quit and then they never go back and fix it because typically the road to correct that will be the hardest road you'll ever walk. And when I met with the colonel, he put me on the phone with one of our key leaders and and I said to him, I'm being railroaded. I'm being thrown under the bus. I gave him the sob story. I basically said, I'm a victim here. And, you know, he said two key things to me. He said, Red, do you honestly think that, you know, you can't learn something out of this school? Do you honestly think that you can't learn how to be a better leader, how to overcome, how to assimilate and learn some tactical advantages that you can utilize back in the SEAL teams? He's like, and if you crush this school, don't you think that would help you? And I, you know, made some sad sob story and was like, well, the guys will never follow me again. And he said a phrase that has stuck me to this day. He said, people will follow you if you give them a reason to. And I realized in that moment what a mistake I was making. And, uh, and it was hard because I actually, I called Erica the night before and told her I was coming home. So I asked the colonel, I said, will you put me back in the class? And he said, no. He said, you'll go sit in ranger school jail for a month and uh, I'll put you in the next class. So I added a month to my training. So now I'm gone for three months without Fucking seeing my family. Company. Wow. You know, hey, easy way, hard way and the Jay Redmond way. God. So I added a month. I had to tell my beautiful wife that I wasn't, not only was I not coming home, I just added an additional month to my training. And, um, and I had to walk that road. And during the time at Ranger School, though, I finally came to grips with who I really was. I came to grips with my arrogance. I was not as great as I thought I was. Uh, I had been arrogant and I had, you know, I came to understand that combat and leadership is our ability to listen to people. It is our ability to take ownership of the position that we're in. And all those things started to play in. And I told myself when I got back to the SEAL teams, I would take it one step at a time. And I would lean on both the enlisted guys, the officers, and the chiefs around me to say, hey, if I don't know how to do this, how do I do it? Can you help me? You know, stop trying to be an island. Stop trying to be Rambo Red and, and embrace this team mentality. And, it seems uh, like slowly, it was an awakening. It absolutely was. It literally was a life epiphany for me. And it changed everything about how I lead, how I look at life. And slowly but surely, I redeemed myself. Uh, I redeemed myself and earned back the trust of the guys. And I'm, you know, there's no doubt in my mind, there's some guys in the SEAL teams who know the old Jay Redmond who are like, yeah, fuck that guy. And I'm okay with that because that's life. But I know deep down that I fixed myself and anybody else out there that's going through failure, you can do the same thing. But I got to tell you, walking that road of redemption to be at the bottom of the hole where people said we should take your trident and you should never lead guys again, and to earn back their trust and get to a point where I was in a combat theater leading some of the world's best warriors on missions to take out really bad people, to walk that road to get back to that point was the hardest road I've ever walked. Uh, but I learned more about myself and leadership than, than a thousand books I could read. <sighs> Holy shit. Um, 
So with all that being said, you know, we've, we've learned, we've learned a lot. We've learned that failure actually can, can create growth is what I got out of that. What I, what I'm hearing from my 20 some year friend is he is the man he is today because of the failures that he's had to endure. Am I right? Absolutely. Embrace failure. That's what I tell people to do. I mean, you know, obviously you're not going out there and you're like, God, I hope I can fail, but stretch yourself out, get out of your comfort zone, push yourself and it's okay to fail. You will learn more from it, but embrace failure. Come to understand it. Dig deep into it. Come to understand who you are, your strengths and weaknesses. Nobody has 100% strengths. Every one of us has, has strengths and we have flaws. And coming to understand both of those will make you better. And that's something I really came to grips with in Ranger School, how to manage myself as a leader. And, uh, and I think that's critical. Um, and listen to the other people around you. And that was one of the key things I did as I drove forward. You kind of touched on them, but I want to make sure we reiterate. If you had to tell anybody out there, young leaders, because everyone in their own mind can be a leader, if you could give people three pieces of advice, what would you give them from the lessons that you've learned through your life experiences? I would say, number one, know yourself. Come to understand who you really are, both your strengths and weaknesses. As humans, we have a tendency to ignore our weaknesses. We don't want to talk about our weaknesses. We don't want to say, I'm really not good at this. I know myself, I'm a hothead. I can get angry very quickly. And if I don't like somebody or if I don't like something, if I'm not careful, I will project that. And that's not a good trait to have as a leader. So I recognize that within myself. And sometimes I recognize, okay, I need to take a step away and take a breath from this situation and then come back and address it so that I can cool down for a minute. The number two, lead yourself. I have so many people that talk to me about leadership and they're like, I want to be a better leader of others. The number one thing you can do is lead yourself. Set the example in everything you do. Build structure into your life, build goals, accomplish those goals and set the example. People will follow you if you give them a reason to. Uh, number three, stay humble, man. I don't care who you are. If you're Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, you still put your pants on the same way. You grew up and you failed and you made mistakes. You know, I don't care how great you are, how much money in your bank account is, you're still human. So don't be a dick. You know, stay humble. Be nice to people. Look at how you can be a good servant leader. Leadership is about motivating and inspiring people to accomplish a goal. And it's about figuring out how to get them across the finish line and inspire them. And that is built on humility. And I tell you, the humble servant, selfless leaders were the greatest leaders I ever worked for. And now I aspire to do the same. You know, sometimes I fall short, but that's okay. I pick myself back up. I say, what can I learn from it? And I drive forward. That's some great advice. I'm definitely going to take it to heart. Our next show is going to be on October 25th. And this is going to be a two-part episode because the theme is going to be overcome. And what we're going to be talking about is the redemption of Jason Redmond, the rebirth of Jason. We're going to talk about not the failures, but what happened on that day when literally you came as close as you could to hell. The rebirth of you. What gave you the driving force to literally deal what you had to and then come back? This is probably going to be the most epic episode that we have ever or, or will ever do. I'm looking forward to it. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, overcome is my word. Everybody that knows it, it has become my motto. It has become my mantra. 
And uh, I'm excited for this episode. It is. Uh, it, it has been a hard path I've walked, and and the redemption came, but it came at a a very heavy price. I mean, it was a lot of work I had to do. It was a lot of driving forward through myself. I mean, probably the greatest compliment I've ever received in my entire life was at my retirement ceremony when the officer who had said to me, who had been on the other end of the phone call at Ranger School, and said, "If you give them a reason to." They will, they will follow you. People will follow you if you give them a reason to. And at my retirement ceremony, he stood in front of everybody that was there and said, Jay Redmond is the only guy I've ever seen in the community that failed at the level that he did and recovered his reputation and left at the level he's leaving. And that was probably the greatest compliment and tribute I'd ever gotten. But it didn't happen because I sat back and just life occurred. It was all about that critical word, overcome. So I'm excited for next episode to be able to talk about that. And uh, man, Ray, awesome. Great interview. Well, before we close, we're always going to do our two-minute motivation. The word of the day is failure. Normally, Rated R takes it first. Um, but you know what? This has been your episode. We interviewed you. I'm going to let you lead the, lead the charge, sir. All right. Awesome, man. Thank you, Ray. You know, failure. I tell you what, failure is out there. It's looming on the horizon for all of us. And there are so many people who live in denial when it comes to failure. They're, they've had something happen in their lives and they want to mitigate it. They want to ignore it. They want to address it. I don't know why we do that as human nature, but I want to encourage you to embrace failure. If you have failed, if you're at a point in your life right now where you are at rock bottom because you catastrophically failed, I want to tell you, you can recover and you can redeem yourself. But it is going to take massive amounts of hard work. You have to become honest with yourself. You have to figure out who you really are and what led to that failure. And once you peel that onion back and you figure it out, it's time for you to start step two. You've got to start leading yourself. Leading yourself forward into success. You've got to build structure. You've got got to build discipline. You've got to get humble. You've got to be humble with those people around you because these are the critical things. The lessons of leadership are built on three rules. You've got to lead yourself. That's 80% of it. The next 15% is your ability to lead others. And then the last critical component, which covers a full 100%, you have to do it all the time. You've got to lead always. You can't pick and choose when you're going to lead. These are the things that will bring you out of failure. That was the hardest road I've ever walked. I was at the bottom of the barrel. I had individuals who just, who just, they said they didn't want to work with me. They, they said I was dangerous. And that was such a shot in the heart to me. So for those of you out there struggling with failure, you can do it. Remember those immortal words. People will follow you if you give them a reason to. All right, guys, the rated R, Ray Cash Care version of failure. Listen here, here's how it works. Failure is reality. It's going to happen to all of us. It has happened to all of us, and it will continually happen to all of us. Who you are and what you do reflects on how you recover from the failure, okay? Accept it. As Jason said, embrace it. You have to figure out a way to take that negative energy from what you have not accomplished and turn it into something positive, all right? You, you see people that are successful all the time. What you don't see is behind the scenes. You don't see the epic failures every day. Myself and Jason, we still fail at things every day, but it's about getting up and getting into the grind who makes you who you are today. I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. It's been a very great episode, a very special and emotional episode for me. 
It is the JR Overcome Show, episode three. Ray, thank you, man, for a great interview. Uh, thanks for digging deep into, you know, what used to be a really painful part of my past. But I tell you what, I've learned so much from it. It's like cathartic. I have, I've grown stronger out of this failure. And that's what I, ta- I want to talk to so many people about. So our next show is going to be October 25th. We will be doing uh, part two. Ray's going to be digging deep into the second part of my interview where our theme will be Overcome. And uh, it's, it's going to be awesome. So, uh, yeah, this is the JR Overcome Show. I am Jason Overcome Redman. And I am Ray Cash Care. And we are out. Boom. Thanks for listening to the JR Overcome Show. Tune in next time. And please remember to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please visit jrovercomeshow.com.